Good evening and welcome back to Amanda here on CQT 90.3 FM in Montreal. Nine communities in the Democratic Republic of the Congo are using the complaints mechanism of the German Development Bank to try to break the stranglehold of Canadian company Feronia on their lives and land. Yes, it's quite the complex set of players, but Devlin Kuyek of Grain was able to bring some clarity to the situation when I spoke to him last week. I started by asking him to introduce himself and his organization. My name is Devlin Kuyek and I work with the organization Grain. Uh, we're a smallish international organization with, um, I work here uh, alone, but I have uh, 14 colleagues in different parts of the world, mm -hmm. uh, several of them in Africa. And we work very closely with uh, partners, uh, social movements um, to defend people's local food systems, their access to land, uh, their seed systems. Um, and we try to, in many cases, it's helping communities who are facing certain threats to that, that kind of control over their, their food producing resources. Uh, and lately, a lot of the work has been uh, oriented around trying to help communities who are fighting off big agribusiness companies who are coming in to try to take their lands uh, in order to set up large scale agricultural projects. I started by asking Devlin to describe the basic elements of the conflict and then we took it from there. Essentially you have a Canadian company uh, with a very little track record in agriculture that took over the plantations of um, Unilever, one of the largest food multinationals in the world. Uh, this happened in 2009 and they've been ever since then um, operating with a lot of conflict with the communities. The communities are quite upset about the uh, working conditions, about the, the way that they're constantly harassed by guards of the plantations when they try to access their forests. These are large concessions that this company is claiming. You know, it's, in total, it's over 100,000 hectares. Mm -hmm. So it's an enormous amount of land. Uh, and the communities who live within these concessions are, are prevented from accessing these lands, even though they're, even the ones that aren't even being used uh, uh, by the company. Uh, Is this a change in practice since the time that Unilever was uh, in control of these concessions? Well, sort of. I, I mean, the, the, what, what it initially happened was in, in 1911 under Belgian occupation. I think most listeners will know a bit about the history of the Belgian occupation of the Congo. It was a brutal occupation. And they, they, the Belgians made an agreement with um, Lord Leverhulme, who uh, is a British uh, business magnate who uh, was the inventor of uh, sunlight dish detergent, right? And he was looking for a new source of, um, of oil for use in his, in his soaps. And he turned to the Congo, where there was a lot of production of, uh, of palm oil. And at the time, that was mainly done by uh, local communities living along the, uh, the Congo River, who, as they had done for generations, would go into the forest, harvest uh, nuts um, from you know, the oil palms that are natural to the, the forest there. Uh, and then they would sell it to traders along the, the uh, Congo River. And he was upset because he didn't like the price that they were charging. It was becoming fairly competitive and the, the communities were you know, asking too much in his mind. So he started building um, these development projects, you might say, 
he started putting up some schools and some churches, and he made a deal with the the, uh, the Belgian authorities that uh, gave him um, a massive forest concession, about a million hectares, and prevented any of the traders from from. Um, he gave him a monopoly, monopoly. On, the, yeah. on the Congo River for the palm oil. So from then on, the communities were forced uh, to bring him uh, palm oil. And there's a, there's, it's well documented, the, the forced labor and the brutality that the Belgian army uh, uh, invoked on the communities in order to force them to, to provide him with palm oil. And then uh, he started building plantations at a certain point. And the company became Unilever, mm -hmm. um, which again is one of the largest multinational food companies in the world. Uh, very much uh, promotes itself as a this responsible corporation, uh, but its its empire was built on this this horrific story in the, in the Congo. Um, and they you know they maintained their plantations, uh, the independence, the state became involved. It was sort of this mixed company. They of course I mean they they just it's like living under an occupation so of course the company provides certain basic infrastructure you know they build some schools uh, they build some uh, clinics and there's canteens that they run in the area but it's a you know it's life under occupation and then you're there really no other choice for these people but to work on the plantations and um, the work there is, is brutal and very poorly paid uh, it's like all plantations in the world I and mean, there aren't any really nice plantations where you have you know happy communities living there um, but but uh, I visited the the area in 2015 and, and the, the poverty is, is is really quite extreme and they the communities were telling us that you know, the situation had worsened ever since Feronia took over the plantation this is the Canadian company yeah. uh, and the company was certainly struggling I mean they uh, it's hard to know what their thinking was when they got involved. The, the money that the company had raised with mostly, I think, Canadian um, investors was drained within a few years. And the, uh, even though the executives were paying themselves quite lavish amounts of money, uh, there wasn't much going into um, into the uh, into the local economy. That's for sure. So, people were complaining that the situation had deteriorated. Um, you know, workers were, were not getting even uh, the minimum wage um, and the company was on, uh, about to, I mean it wasn't making money so it was about to go bankrupt essentially and, and then at that point, which was I think 2013, it was quite odd but the, uh, the, the British uh, Development Bank, uh, the CDC, which has a mandate, I mean, we don't have a development bank, so to speak, in Canada, I and mean, there's certain things that are close to that, but in Europe and in the U.S. are what are called development banks, and, and they um, are semi-private uh, entities. They're mostly financed by, uh, by governments, and they're under the, usually under some kind of a relationship with the government, and they're under a mandate to support development through investments in the private sector. So it's you know it's this new idea in a way that you can best it, uh, support development in in Africa and other places by uh, you know just supporting the private sector there. So they they stepped in and they gave money to uh, uh, well the CDC put in a, a huge chunk of money into Feronia, and as, as did uh, this Mauritius-based equity private equity fund called the African Agricultural Fund, 
which was backed um, solely by other development banks, the French development banks, Spanish, uh, the U.S., um, uh, several others. And uh, that allowed Ferroni to continue. Um, and they, you know, continued to lose money. Uh, and then again, an another set of development banks stepped in, and this is where the German development bank came in, uh, the, the Belgian development bank, the Dutch development bank, and um, that was in 2015. Now, the community for the communities, what, the, what, you know, they the, as they see it, the the biggest problem is that this company, uh, you know, all the way going back to 1911, uh, is only on, on these lands because of an illegal occupation. I mean, those lands were stolen from them in 1911 under the B Belgian occupation, and then there was never any point in that in entire, you know, more than 100 years where the company, you know, recognized their, their, their rights and their, their occupation of those lands, their historical occupation of these lands, and then sat down to negotiate some, uh, you know, the conditions under which it could operate. Even despite the fact that eventually uh, the, the country became independent, no change in that period? No, it, I mean, it, it just, remain this sort of, uh, I mean, these are quite isolated communities and as it's sort of described as, you know, they were just left to sort of be essentially slaves in this, in these large plantations. And of that hundred, over, it's over a hundred thousand hectares that the company claims of concessions, over three quarters uh, is forest. It's not even been developed into plantations. So the company has these old land claims. If you look at their records that we were able to access them and, and there's these old flimsy documents that really uh, you know, are, just don't hold up to any kind of international standard for, for really what would be required for a concession of the size. There, there's nothing in those documents that provide any any rights to local people. I mean, there's there there was never at all a, a, a negotiated process. And so for the, uh, well, to go back to this whole thing about the forest, so they have so most of it is forested, forested area, and the communities are not permitted to access those areas. And one of their main complaints is, you know, they they will uh, say harvest palm nuts in in, in the forest or. Uh, they'll grab some, say, from, from the ground that have fallen within the plantations, and the security guards that operate in that area will then harass them. They're, they're often being beaten or arrested. Uh, you know, they, if they're caught cooking with, with palm oil um, that they haven't purchased from the, the company, they can... You know, they'd be accused of having stolen things. So it's just boy, it's really like us. a company town. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. There's been there's been people uh, assassinated uh, over this time. So I mean, it's it, it's yeah to to a you know profound extent. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the when the development banks became involved in this, um, we we did a visit to the communities in 2015 uh, with our partner Rio uh, uh, Rio, which is a, a Congolese NGO. And um, you know, we, we talked to them about the involvement of the, these development banks and, and they gave us you know, a very different version of what was going on there than what the company had been uh, providing publicly. Um, and so we, we looked at ways that you know, we may be able to help them given that there was some you know, public involvement from these uh, European and US uh, um, 
development banks and there might be some extra ways that we could pressure them. And it's been an ongoing process since then, so there's been reports that have been published. You know, and despite reports coming out, these development banks keep putting more and more mm -hmm. money into companies. Okay, so let's get to the present. Nine communities have organized mm -hmm. themselves and filed a complaint with, there's a complaints mechanism um, that the German Development Bank has put into place to, I guess, address grievances. So could you tell us a little bit about specifically what the community's demands are and then how does this complaints mechanism work? Sure. So there are nine communities that have um, that are bringing forward the complaint, and it centers around uh, their uh, the land conflict they have with the company. So they are basically saying, "Look, this company is occupying our lands illegally. Uh, they did this whole process of to to gain titles in 2015, 2016, which was uh, it seems to have been ordered by the, one of the development banks, or at least one of the development banks." Uh, and you know that it, it a very questionable process uh, legally, but they're challenging the legality of the of the company's occupation of their of their lands, and saying we have this historical land conflict, and uh, we want, you know, on that basis, we want to negotiate for what lands this company can can continue to have access to. I mean, they would I'm first and foremost want a return of those all those lands that the company's not using, um, and. Uh, then once we agreed on that, then we'll dis discuss what are the conditions under which this company continued to operate. Instead of it being the reverse where the company mm -hmm. is just saying, you know, every once in a while when there's a, an uprising or some pressure, then they sort of you know, claim that they're giving, uh, going to build a new school or they're going to uh, set up a new health center or something, right? So it would be the communities really saying, you know, no, these, these are the conditions mm -hmm. under, under which you can operate here. The complaints mechanism is, well, you We'll see how uh, robust it really is. This would be a good test case. Um, is this the first time? It's not the first case that, that's been brought forward under this complaints mechanism, but it's there hasn't been one to where the the land, uh, the issue of land is so large. I mean, I think um, a German colleague was saying that the last, the only other one was I think involved seven hectares. I mean, here we're talking about you know, yeah. over a hundred thousand yeah. hectares, right? Of rainforest, mainly you know, very, uh, very important uh, pieces of land, and um, uh, they they will issue a ruling. Uh, they have until December 11th to issue a ruling as to whether or not they'll take this. It's it, they're requesting mediation. So the the, the panel there's a panel of uh, supposed to be three people. I think there's only two people currently, but there's a there's this panel that will then lead of, of the specialists or experts. Yeah, right? they're experts, they're, they're, they're independent, they're supposed to be independent um, from the development banks, and um, they, will, they will lead this process. Uh, the communities have requested that they have some support so that they can have you know, adequate independent legal counsel. Um, so we'll see. You mm -hmm. know? Uh, it's one way we hope that this sort of power imbalance that's always existed can be, can be changed a little. Okay. Now we are talking about a Canadian company. Mm -hmm. So where where is Canada in this story? Are there mechanisms where these communities or others affected by the company can actually challenge the Canadian company directly? Yeah, it is a Canadian company. It's listed on the TSX. Um, you know, it's it, in fact the people who originally started it uh, more of a background in mining, so it's really not yeah. surprising. Um, so w I think there would be similar ways that it could be challenged as you would to a mining company. Those, 
the, the, at least the cases that I'm somewhat familiar with there are, are through the courts, and you know, it's a, those are difficult, very long, yep. and expensive processes. Yep. We've been we've been trying to uh, support these communities on through with you know, it's, it, to emphasize it, a very isolated communities. I don't know if anybody even listening has traveled much in the Congo, but it's extremely expensive to travel mm -hmm. in the Congo. So the you know, just organizing a meeting or is is really hard, and uh, this process we hope is something that you know that that we can take on adequately and support the communities on adequately. Um, um, but you know, that's that's another issue that comes up when you know, we have corporations that are always claiming they have these grievance mechanisms, or there's process, you know, there's 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 tools that are at the disposal of communities to bring forward their complaints, and you know, frankly. It, in most cases, that's just not the case mm -hmm. because they, uh, you know, that's such a disadvantage. And the amount of resources that these companies have compared to the communities is it's just, there's no comparison. No, an astounding imbalance between the two. Exactly. Are you concerned at all about the safety of the complainants um, or is it just by virtue of the fact that it's under this complaints mechanism that creates a kind of safety buffer for them? Well, that's what we would hope. Um, we hope that you know the public attention on this case will also help. Um, but it, you know, these are this is not a safe area. Uh, they, um, you know, it is a, is a conflict area as well. And uh, there are many reports that we've heard of. Um, uh, you know, it, whether it's corruption, you know, in efforts to corrupt uh, some of the local activists or uh, you know, threats to people. Um, it's certainly a climate of insecurity mm -hmm. that's there, and that's, you know, that's, that's a difficult thing. I mean, there was, pr prior to this complaint being lodged, the company broke with a process that it, uh, our, our partner organization had, had been working, in fact, in, in collaboration with the company on with it, where they was bringing the communities together and the communities were starting to articulate their demands and there was this process in place and the companies just broke with that. I think they didn't see it going in the direction they wanted. And they, um, with the support of the, some of the provincial governors, uh, just rounded up a lot of the community leaders. Uh, the, the leaders say that they weren't really aware of what was happening. They were brought to the provincial capital. Mm -hmm. Uh, there, where there was a military presence in the rooms, um, you know, they were shown these documents, which were these social contracts for them to sign that basically had, you know, had almost no obligations to the company. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, that was the sort of process that the, the company had followed. So, you know, intimidation. It's intimidation, yeah. 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 Back to Feronia, the Canadian company, what's its track record um, elsewhere in the world? Well, Feronia is a, I mean, it's an odd company. It was really started by people from the financial sector. Um, they, like other, many other companies in the financial sector, when the food crisis happened in uh, 2008, there was a spike in food prices and there was also the, you know, the financial crisis and People started looking for other places other than the stock market to put their money. They they saw that as an opportunity to get into agriculture. They had this you know huge ambitions early on to to create a new kind of Brazil type uh, agricultural industrial agricultural model in in the Congo, and um, they got into initially we were going to get into soybean farming, but they set up a, a rice farm as well that is now 
just simply disappeared off their books. Uh, and they, they, the only place that they operate right now is the, is the Congo. And, and their Canadian presence is, is almost insignificant, except for the fact that they trade on the TSX. But all their offices are, are mainly, um, at least from their executive offices, are now in, in Belgium and London. Mm -hmm. And um, so they don't, they don't have a, a very significant Canadian presence as it is. But it's something to look at because, you know, the, the, the way that the TSX functions has, has been to facilitate these junior mining companies. Yep. Or, you know, these are essentially, in a way, they're, they're kind of like mining companies and they're mining the soil. Very much so, the parallels so are... The topsoil, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so they're, and, they, and they're, you know, there was the same idea, you know, try to identify... Uh, resources that are undervalued and uh, you know make big bucks by um, selling them eventually off to somebody else and in this case they were sold off to you know it was the development banks who stepped in which is yeah. sadly ironic yeah okay so I want to I want to end with this back to the uh, complaints mechanism um, so you talked about this panel of two or it's supposed to be three experts who are independent and they're going to be delving into this will they go there or will the complainants go to, I guess, wherever they're based, Germany, or...? Well, I would expect they'll go there. Oh. I mean, trying to get people into from Africa into Europe right now is certainly not mm -hmm, easy. Mm -hmm. uh, I would hope that there'd be some kind of process, though, in Europe where community leaders would be able to come there. I mean, part of what we're trying to do here, too, is to shine a bit of light on, on the investments in agribusiness that these development banks are making, not just agribusiness, but, you know, in mining and other sectors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, they claim to be supporting development, but... It, and they claim to be, you know, doing it through in a much more efficient way in this private sector investment. But this company has been losing millions and millions of dollars every year. Almost all of those losses can be attributed to the costs outside of the plantation. So it's like, you know, heavy costs when it comes to all their directors and their offices, uh, you know, outside of Africa. Um, you know, why, why would you invest in agriculture in Africa when most of that money is being eaten up by outside of the country it's, just, it's, yeah. it's ludicrous and they you know send these consultants down constantly I mean we're talking about agriculture and this is a part of the of the Congo where there traditionally people have produced palm oil yep. I mean this is where it all comes from yeah and you look at the communities beside these plantations and they're producing lots of palm oil you watch the the pirogues that are that are floating down the Congo River full of like traditionally produced palm oil efficiently that, produced yeah, yeah. where the, you know all the returns go to the people and they don't have to live under yeah. you know fetal uh, fetal conditions yeah the timeline on the complaints process well, December 11th, we're expecting a, a decision around then. Mm. I mean, they have till December 11th, so we'd expect a decision there, and then we'll then we'll see. I mean, this is that's in terms of the acceptability that's of the acceptability. okay. And then then I, we would hope that the process would kick in pretty quickly mm -hmm. you know, after the holidays, that uh, that things would start right away, and that there would be um, you know some process where the communities can can come together a bit more too and, and you know really really flush out their their positions as well because they they have to be supported I mean we have this uh, partner who's helping them and accompanying them this but they really need support most of them haven't even had a chance to talk to to each other you know so uh, just addressing that power imbalance will be a real big priority yeah. for us right off the bat and then you know hopefully you know hopefully it's it doesn't it doesn't drag on for too long Okay, so it sounds like we'll be talking sometime again in the new year and uh, with an update on the situation. Well, uh, let's, let's hope. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Great. Devlin. Thanks, Glenn.